I'm excited this morning. I mean, things couldn't be any better. I mean, we had a beautiful day out there. The praise team sing, sang two of my favorite songs. Just doesn't get any better than this, does it? They're still in the way, but that's okay. Uh, but anyway, nah, they do a great job. But I, I am excited. I'm excited about what God has in store for us this morning through his word. Uh, there's just times, and if you're a, a teacher or a communicator and you teach God's word, you know that there are times in which you get really excited about what God's laid on your heart. And, and for me, this is one of those Sundays because at the very heart of what I see in God's word is what we're going to be talking about today. And so if you can't get excited about that, I don't know what you can get excited about. Also, I'm excited about the fact that Corby has lost eight pounds this week. He has, pro <laughs> he has proven me wrong that he is on a mission. So anyway, you can congratulate him. I told him I was a little hard on him last week. He said, that's okay. It's accountability. And so anytime you see him out to eat, just brag him whatever you got to do. And if he eats after seven, call him on it, okay? All right. You had to be here last week to understand what I'm talking about. Okay, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, if you look at your outline, you're going to see that some of the blanks are filled in. And that's what we covered last week. And I intend to go quickly through that to set up what we're going to be talking about this morning. And so if you look on that outline, you'll see the series intro. We're a part of a six to possibly seven week series here called Devoted, and we're moving from the idea of resolution to transformation. So look at the series introduction. Resolution is defined as the formal expression, formal expression of intention or the act of, determine, of a ter, determining action. Transformation, however, is defined as a state or process of being transformed, creating a change in nature and character. Now, let me just say this. This type of change is from the inside out. And that's the type of change that we find all through scripture. Matter of fact, the Bible goes as far to say if the change didn't come from the inside and work its way out, it probably really wasn't change. It may have just been a resolution or you determining something in your life. But here we see all through scripture that it's an inside out job. Now, according to God's word, the work of the Holy Spirit is best described as transformation and not resolution. So that being said, let me introduce you to a cultural value that we have here in our church. It's here on the screen. Now, if you want to know more about our church, if, you, if you're new to the church and you want to know something about what motivates us as a church, if you go online, you'll go to what, what, about us and you'll scroll down and you'll see cult, uh, culture, our culture. And it tells you really 11 things that motivate what we do around here. When it comes to preparing for our gatherings, when it comes to missions or whatever it may be, these are these things that we keep in mind as we make those decisions about what we believe God wants us to do as a church. So I want you to look at a culture value that we have. Transformation is greater than tradition. And here's what we believe about that. Under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, our methods, creativity, and presentation of the gospel requires at times to reach beyond our traditions for the greater cause of life being transformed by a never-changing message. Therefore, the greater emphasis of our ministry is not placed on the restrictions of our trendi uh, uh, traditions, but on the unlimited possibilities of the transformation that can take place in the individual's heart. And that's what we believe. 
We believe that God wants to do a work. And if you read through scripture, you're gonna find that the work that God does in our lives or in, in the lives of our church, if you look carefully, you'll see that God is always interested in doing something new in our lives. Something that, is, that has not been seen or realized before and something that he can do in and through us. Now, look on your outline. It is also important that, to understand that biblical transformation is devoted to a relationship with God provided by Jesus. If there's gonna be any transformation that's worth anything in our lives, especially as it affects our spirit and affects our eternity, it must surround the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. Now, what's that all mean? Here's the bottom line. Instead of merely committing yourself to do better through resolutions, in 2020, commit yourself, and this is the key, to fall in love with Jesus to be devoted to him. This will result in transformation. And that being said, always remember that God is more concerned about who you are becoming than what you're doing. The doing, listen, comes from the becoming. And it's really that idea of an inside job that he's attempting to do in our lives that makes its way out of us and it becomes what we do. Now, a goal of transformation is here on the screen, just like I showed you last week. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Now, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, now who's in Christ? Well, those who have come to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, through repentance and faith. That is what it means to be in Christ. And then it says, if that happens, he or she is a new creation. That, that's something that is changing. It describes a change from the inside out. And then it says, old things have passed away. What used to identify us, what we used to be, our identity was in. It may have been in the world or in our flesh or whatever. However, now it's in Christ. He says, behold, those things have passed away. They're back there. But behold, you know what the word behold? And I told you this last week. It's a big word in scripture. It literally means the unveiling of something. He's basically saying, behold, the unveiling of all things that have become new. That is a description of transformation that the Bible talks about. And that is what's intended to be in and through us. Now, what we're going to be teaching over these next several weeks is this. Godly transformation cannot happen apart from God's word, prayer, at times fasting, and giving of ourselves. The transformation is limited by how much those things impact our lives. So over the next six weeks and today, we're gonna to be looking at the transformation through God's word, which is part two of what we started last week. So look again, look on the outline. For the believer in Christ, transformation cannot happen apart from being enraptured by God's word. The word in rapture, as I said, means delighted beyond measure. It is something that we hold as valuable. It is something that we know that, that we desire to be controlled by. And that's what we find all through scripture, which leads us to another cultural value that we have here at our church. It's actually the second one. Does anybody know the first one? Someone yell it out. What's our first cultural value? Jesus is our lead story. And here's the second. 
Scripture and prayer are prime. Here's what we mean by that. God gives us his word to bring about the good news of Jesus and the good news is that not that our sin made us bad people and somehow we're attempting to make ourselves better and that's really the idea of resolution, but that the gospel cries out that our sin has made us dead and that Jesus is our only hope of ever being made alive. To miss this truth is to miss the purpose of life and the purposes of Christ. Therefore, all we do and say is anchored in the message of the gospel. So when we gather, our ultimate purpose, here it is, is not to endorse, endorse the ideas, philosophies, or opinions of men, but to exchange them for the transforming truth of God's word. That's what we desire. That's what we're attempting to do as a church. And so you can understand a little bit more what motivates us. That being said, when it comes to God's word, as I asked you last week, has God ever spoken to you? Has God ever spoken to you? Now, some of you may be sitting here. Uh, you may say, you know, something. Um, I've never heard God speak to me audibly. Some of you may have. I don't know. Has God ever spoke to you in a certain way? I've had people tell me that they think God's spoke to them audibly. That's never happened for me personally. But there have been times where he's impressed so much on my heart that it couldn't be any clearer than if he said it out loud. You ever been there? And those are the times in which we see that God is transforming us. Now, let me just tell you this. I believe the greatest tool that he uses to transform us is scripture and prayer. Scripture is where his words are being imparted into our lives. And so therefore, we need to get into his word. So a better question is this. Do you ever give God a chance to speak into your life? Do you quiet your life? Do you ever meditate on his word? Do you just listen? Why is it important? Here it is. How is it that we do that? Why is it important that we focus our attention on him? It's because of this. That's when we hear him. When we put our focus on him, Someone reminded me this past week that what we find in Exodus chapter three, you remember the story of Moses and the burning bush? You remember that story? It's one we all probably learned as kids. I wanna, I wanna show you something here on the screen in these verses. I want you to see what happens. Then Moses said, you remember the story, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. He, he sees a burning bush, but he's noticing there's something uncharacteristic about what he's seeing. The bush itself is not burning up. There's, a, there's something happening. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, look what God did. God called to him. God called to him. What did, for Moses to see or to hear God speak to him, what did he have to do? He had to get God his attention, right? His attention, his focus. What, what he was showing him. He, he was basically saying, God, I, I, I need a word from you or God, here it is, I'm, I, I'm listening. You got my attention now, I'm listening. And so the Lord saw and he turned aside to look and God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. I'm listening. I'm focusing my attention on you. What do you have for me? Have you ever gone to God in that way? Have you ever gone to God and said, God, speak to my heart, speak to my heart. Many times for me, the way this looks is if I need to hear a word from God, I have learned 
to look to his word. And that's the reason I think it's so important. That's the reason we need to be in, in, engrossed or we need to be in his word. And this is some things we looked at last week. Why is it important that we listen to God? Look on your outline. His word provides instruction for salvation. As we said last week, scripture is a source of saving faith. So look on your outline, the acquiring text, 2 Timothy 3, 14. But you must continue. This is a command that Paul is giving. You must continue in the things which you've learned. If you want to live your faith, he's saying you gotta continue in what you've learned. And then we have the convincing text. 2 Timothy 3, 14. But, if you, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of. These are things that you've not only seen or heard, these are things that you, you engaged in such a way that now you have more assurance of his word. That you're becoming more familiar and it's more recognizable in your life. Those things that he's trying to show you. And then we have the tutoring text, 2 Timothy chapter 14. But you must continue in the thing which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. Knowing the person. How many of you had someone who's walked beside you in your faith? That's key. It's vital. We all need that. Not only do we need the text to tutor us, sometimes we need people to come alongside of us and tutor us. And this is what I was talking about. Knowing from whom you've learned them and that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures. And here it is. There's two things that we need to pull away from these, these, these verses. You have learned, that's conviction, and you have known, that's observation. And together they form a, a solid view of who God is and who you are when you bring these things together. And then we have, again, the saving text. Verse 15, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, last week we looked at some of this, but I want us to look at this also. Not only do we see that his word provides instruction for salvation, but also his word provides instruction that is definitive. And of course, we define definitive. It means it is reliable and complete and can be trusted. Why would it be that? Here's the key. Look on your outline. It's the inspired text. The inspired text. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspired is the greatest characteristic of the scriptures. Do you know why? Because it literally means God breathed. God spoke it into existence. He spoke these words. You say, well, now hold on a second. From everything that I've learned, men wrote these words. No, the Bible says that those men were inspired to write those words. As I said last week, the, the authors of, of these letters, these prophets who wrote into this, these uh, apostles, uh, these disciples who wrote this, I'm sure they wrote other things. But what was gathered to create the word of God is what we call the inspired word of God. These are actually his words. Secondly, it's definitive because it is the proven text. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 16, all scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable. Now, what do we mean by that? It means it's tested and it's proven. It works. It works. Let me tell you this about God's word, as I said last week. It's historically accurate. It's scientifically accurate. It's prophetically accurate. It's uniformly acted, 
uh, uh, active and proven because of this, because there's a singular theme all the way through, written over a period of 1,500 years, and yet we see an ongoing story that unfolds right there in front of us from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we see all these things. Now, why is it important that it be inspired and it be proven so that we know we can build our lives upon it? That when we need a word from God, that we can rely on what we hear through the scriptures. Whether it's coming into a a gathering like this where you're hearing the word preached, a teaching where you're uh, sitting under someone or someone's tutoring you, or you just picking up the word by yourself and trying to have understanding about how God's speaking through you to it. That's what God wants to do. Now, look on your outline. His word provides instruction for sanctification. Now, right beside that phrase, I want you to put Goal is transformation. The goal of sanctification is transformation. Matter of fact, if there is no transformation, there has been no sanctification. If if there's nothing, if, if something's not growing in you, if something's not changing in you, where you recognize the old you in comparison to the new you, transformation is not taking place. And it's so important that we understand that. So where does the transformation happen? How does God use his word to to bring that about? Here it is, 2 Timothy chapter three. We see the teaching text or the doctrine text. All scripture, verse 16, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And he's gonna give us four things here for doctrine. Now think about this. Some of you are already glazing over. Doctrine, oh, Is it important that we know doctrine? Absolutely. Absolutely. We we need to know doctrine. Now, why would we want to know doctrine? Or why is it important that we know doctrine? Because doctrine tells us who God is. Doctrine tells us who we are. Doctrine tells us who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is. Tells us all these things. Tells us how salvation comes about. That's doctrine. Tells us how sanctification and transformation can take place in our lives. That's doctrine. Now, even after conversion, listen, trusting in our own wisdom is a severe hindrance to correctly understanding scripture. Here's how we know it. Proverbs 3, 5, we read, trust in the Lord, how? With all your heart and lean not on what? Your own understanding. How many of you have noted at times in your life where your own understanding led you astray. It does a lot for me, or at least that's what the wife says. <laughs> you just need to go back to your Bible and see what that thing says. It's not saying what you think it says. No. <laughs> she doesn't talk that way, by the way. But, but here's what I want you to know. Here's why it's so important that we know the word so we can recognize the things that aren't the word. I mean, think about this. You came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and brought you into right relationship with God. Wouldn't you want to know what he has to say beyond that? If he says he loves me, if he says he knows what's best for me, don't you think it's important that we know what the best looks like? Don't you think we need to know the difference between what the world's trying to sell us and even what our flesh is trying to sell us as a, as, as a comparison to what God's words actually says? Yeah, we, we need to know those things. So doctrine provides us with God's perspective concerning himself and who we are. 
So we need doctrine to know what to believe. Doctrine is God's standard of truth that provides understanding, perspective, and guidance. Now, let me tell you one thing that you need to be aware of. God's word is what I would go so far as to say is this, and there's a lot of people who disagree with me, is absolute truth. What does absolute truth mean? It means it's applicable to anyone in any generation, in any culture, in any, it transcends anything that you can throw at it. It is the truth. Why do I believe that? Because God created the world and God created the truth and he put it out there for me to know it through his word. And so therefore, we need to know what to believe. How about this? The reproving or convicting text. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and for reproof. Reproof carries the idea of rebuking in order to correct. How many of you as parents have had to pull that on your children? You rebuke them in order to what? To correct them. That's the goal of discipline. That's the goal. Get their attention, rebuke them. Why? Because they inconvenienced us? No, to bring correction to their life. That's the goal. So, reproof carries the idea of rebuking in order to correct. Here, here's, some, here's some areas. A wrong behavior, a false doctrine, a wrong direction of life, a wrong perspective. That, that's what it does. So, so here, here's where, I'm out here living my life, okay? <laughs> I'm living my life, okay? <laughs> that's not the way I live my life, by the way. But anyway, we'll call it that. And, and, and all of a sudden, there's something that seems to be amiss. All of a sudden, Hmm, I'm, I'm starting to feel something. Well, you know what I call that? Conviction of the Holy Spirit. If I'm in tune with that, what God desires for me, and, and I know the Holy Spirit is moving me towards the truth of God's word, as a Christian, as a person who's in the process of transformation in which there's an old me becoming a new me, there's gonna be something that happens through the word of God that not only shows me what to believe, but also shows me how to be discerning in, in correcting something that's in me. Does anybody right now sitting in your seat need correcting about anything? Yeah, thank you for your hands. Appreciate that confession. May God bless you and keep you. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I want you to think about it. Some of you wives are sitting there beside your husbands. He didn't raise his hand. You're sitting there. Oh, we definitely need an attitude change this morning. <laughs> Some of your husbands sit beside your wife. And kids didn't know what they woke up to this morning. But no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, there's all kinds of things that we need to be dealing with. There's all kinds of things that we need to look at. So, so here's what we need to understand. Regular and careful study of scripture builds a foundation of truth in our lives that exposes sin in a believer's life, that exposes a wrong behavior, that exposes a wrong reaction. Scripture, listen, for those who understand what I'm about to say, is the plumb line by which every leading that we may have thought attitude, action, motive, and belief is to be measured by. You're like, 
That's that important? Yep. It is to me. It shows me what to do when I'm angry and how to correct it. It shows me when I've had a bad attitude about something. It shows me this stuff. I got to get in it. Now, why do we need truth? I want you to turn over maybe a page for some of you. Second Timothy chapter four. I want you to look at verse three. This is why we need truth. Verse three. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. There's going to come a time where they're not going to be satisfied with the truth of God's word. That implies there's going to be something that's going to lead them astray. Can I tell you what's leading many people in our culture astray today? Is their feelings. I feel this and I feel that. Listen, because I'm a Christian, because I hold God's word, I esteem it highly. Because I use it as, as the standard by which I'm gonna live because I've learned it, it's God's best for me. And as a result of that, listen, when my feelings don't match up with the word, guess what changes or should change in my life? The feelings gotta change. I gotta bring that back to something that I call absolute truth. This is the truth I'm building my life upon. So what happens for many people is they're not doing that. They're living by how they feel. And it's leading them astray. I guarantee you if I could talk to somebody and you, you have family members, you have friends, you have coworkers, you see this all the time. One day they're talking about how they feel this and they feel it so strongly and then they go pursue it. You ever talk to them a year later after that feeling led them somewhere that's away from God's truth, what that, how that worked out? Have you ever had the privilege to come back and revisit that conversation? It hardly ever turns out right. There's gonna come a time when they will not endure what God's word has to say, sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, <laughs> own desires, I want this. I deserve this. I can't tell you how many times I heard a message this past week that told me what I deserved. I saw it on TV, in the commercials. I passed billboards. I had people tell me, oh, you're, you deserve that. You, you deserve it. It's amazing how the world applauds our desires, isn't it? Yeah, go for that. Go for it. I did. Not going to tell you how destructive it became in my own life, but. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, that means they're not satisfied with the truth, they will heap upon themselves what? Teachers. Those that will tell them what they want to know and how to look at things. They're, they're, they're going to come possibly here this Sunday and they're going to hear this preacher basically or teacher say, no, this is what God's word has to say. Well, this is not matching up with how I feel or what I want to do. So I think I'm going to go to the next place to see if I get a, a different message because I do want to come under the context of my life as a Christian. So I'm going to just keep going until I find what I want. The Bible says they're going to do that. They're doing that. It's happening. And then it says this, 
and they will turn their ears away from the truth. You know why? Because they found someone that they could go sit under that will keep them in their deception. They found someone that won't tell them the truth, but tell them what they want to hear. And be turned aside to fables, to things that are not of truth. How many of you are seeing this play out in, your, in some of your people's lives? How many of you are seeing this play out? And I mean, it's playing out everywhere. So we need doctrine to know what to believe. We need reproof to discern what not to believe. And then look on your outline, the correcting or repairing text. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof and for correction. The word correction is the restoration of something to its original or proper condition. That's the intent of the word. So in Greek thought, Correction was used as a setting upright, an object that had fallen down or helping a person back on their feet after they've stumbled. Some places would say it goes even further than that. It's a bone that has been broken that needs to be reset, restored to its original intent. That's the word correction. That's what's meant here. Now, let's just say, let me say this about the book of James. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible because it's so practical. But I want, let's look at, let's test God's word. Let's see, does this really work? Okay, how does this happen? Where does correction show up in scripture? In James chapter one, verse 19, it says this. So then my beloved brother, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak and slow to wrath. How many of you know this verse? Okay, for the wrath for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Our wrath does not produce God's best. It does not produce God's intention. It doesn't do that. And so I'm learning. If, I'm, if I have ill will towards somewhere, I'm angry or I'm bitter and someone hurt me in such a way and maybe I am a Christian and I'm out here and I'm turning away from God's word because I wanna hold on to my anger and my wrath so what does he say? As a result of that, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Lay those things aside. Put it under the microscope of God. God's word says this has no place in the new person that God desires you to become. Has no place. This is not the way this person is supposed to act or an attitude they're supposed to have. So he says, lay aside the filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive, listen, with meekness. Humble yourself to understand this is wrong. You can't act this way. This shouldn't be a part of your life. This doesn't describe who you are in Christ. You're living contrary to who you are. That's what the word does. So we're gonna receive with meekness, oh, I love this, the implanted word. If I'm a Christian and I'm growing in such a way that I, transformation literally means a transformation of nature and character. Something is transforming. I was over here, now I'm defined over here. And as a result of me growing in Christ, the word, his word is becoming implanted in my heart in such a way 
that when I go against it, listen, I will never be fulfilled. I tell the Wednesday night crowd all the time that, that come to that Bible study, I say, listen, the most miserable person to be around in this world is not necessarily the outright sinner, but the Christian or the believer who's out of the will of God. Because they are, there's something that's rubbing up against them. The Holy Spirit of God will not let them stay there. You know why? Because it was something that was implanted in them. What was implanted in them? The Bible says, listen, the Spirit of God, number one, was planted in them. But the Word can be planted in them. What I'm doing right now in your life, you know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm taking something that you've known to be truth and I'm putting it a little deeper in your heart right now. God's using me through the Holy Spirit to implant this. So here's what's gonna happen. All of a sudden, you're gonna come up against something that's against what's implanted there. It ain't gonna feel right. You'll never be happy in it. You'll never be fulfilled in it. You'll never be satisfied in it. That's the correcting text. So rebuke, now think about this. The rebuke test is, is a bringing an awareness of wrong. The correction, listen, is the actual restoring of making one upright once again. It's to fix the problem. Sometimes we get off the path God has for us. How do we get off the path? Temptation through sin, right? Does that ever happen to you? Just nod this, it does. And it happens. And so God provides an exit ramp. He, many times he'll come in a form of a leading to bring correction into our lives. Where in the world's the time go? Okay, here we go. So we need doctrine to know what to believe. We need reproof to discern what not to believe. We need correction to learn what not to do. And then we see the instructing or training text. 2 Timothy chapter 16, 3, 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Instruction, the idea of training, discipline. It's really the whole idea of making the scripture applicable and practical. That's one thing that I love about God's call and, and what he's placed on my own life. I wanna take God's word every Sunday. My goal is to make it the most practical it can be in your life. That when you leave here, you don't hear a bunch of flowery words and, and it's like, you rah, rah, yay, yay, let's go conquer the world. That's great too, you need motivation. But it's gotta be more than that. There's gotta be that part of God's word that, that helps you to understand perspective, that helps you understand what to do on Monday when anger comes into your heart, and a wrong attitude and, and how you treat your spouse and all those things. It's something else that's greater. It's very practical. Now, here it is. The process of transformation comes through, listen, teaching, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Now, some people say, there's a lot of talk about righteousness in the Bible, and there is. You know what righteousness actually is? If you put it at its most generic level, here's what it is. It is God's best. It is God's standard. It's God who created you who said this. If you want the most fulfilling life you could ever possibly have in this fallen world, follow this. Boom, 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 boom. So this idea that we need to understand what God's best is. So when you see righteousness, it's, it's, it's a work towards God's best. Now, let me tell you the good news. 
When you leave this world or when you face God himself, listen, you will not be able to stand there in your own righteousness because it's failed many times. Testimonies? Okay, good, all right. All right, we, we've been there. It's his righteousness that's gonna bring us into favor with God and his inheritance and our eternity with him. All that comes our way. But this whole idea of righteousness as we live today, that is the transformative word that God's trying to get you to become. That you become why he calls you. You are righteous. Yes. And you live accordingly, not in, con, not in, not in a, a, a contrary way to it, but you're actually living it. That's, that's gonna be the best. How many of you, when you were teenagers, that was hard to get your mind around that? We got the teenagers coming in next service. I'm gonna really pound this one, okay? Some of you are in this room now. I'm sorry about that, I let you in on something. But, but it is, it's the whole idea of them understanding this is not God keeping them from something, this is God keeping them for something. We need, look at the recap. We need doctrine to know what to believe. We need reproof to discern what not to believe. We need correction to learn what not to do. We need instruction to understand what should be done. What should be done. Lastly, we have the enabling or equipping text. Second Timothy chapter three, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Let, let me just say this. It, it, it's amazing how God's word is constructed. It really is. I love the way it's constructed. Every thought, every detail it's, it's there for, it's, it's, it's put in place for a purpose. And so when he says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, that is the starting point that, that you trust it. That's the starting point. If you don't trust it, you're not gonna build your life on it. He says, you gotta trust. Adrian Rogers, one of my favorite pastors, uh, uh, teachers, he's, he's gone on to be with the Lord. Here's what he said. The starting place in Christian growth is to have a firm conviction about the inspiration and the authority of God's word. It will not work until you come to a proper understanding of what God's word is really all about. That it's inspired. It, it holds authority. And here's what it says. As again, it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We saw all that. What's the goal of all that? Verse 17, that the man or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped. When it says complete, it's basically saying, I want this process of transformation to happen in you where the old man is here, the new man is here, and when you stand over here with the new person that you've become in him through transformation, that when you stand there and you're standing on truth and you're building your life on truth, I want you to know there will be no void. You will be complete in everything I ask you to do. You will be complete even through adversity and all the, if the world comes against you, you, you have the proper perspective, you have the proper understanding, you are complete. And where does it come from? It comes from what's up here, through the reproving, the doctrine, the correction, and the instruction. Thoroughly equipped. It means having everything necessary, listen, to stand against the desires of our flesh, the lies of the enemy, and the temptations of the world. And then it says, for every good work. Let's break that down. The word good there literally means, if you take it for what it means, it, this is an idea that's motivated by love, okay? That idea of good. It's becoming something that is useful, 
profitable and beneficial for God and even those around you. This process, my old self's over here. This is where I was. I, 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 I stood guilty. I was, my sin would have caused the wrath of God to fall upon me. But because of the work that God's doing in my life through Jesus Christ, I'm over here now and there's a good work that's going on in me and it's so good that it benefits God's wouldn't you like to have a life that benefits God? Yeah. Not that we're anything special, but the fact that it can be used of God. Yeah. That, that when we stand here, because this process has happened in us, our children will be better for it. Our spouses will be better for it. The people we work with, the church will be better because that's where you're standing. That's what he's calling us to. The word work there, it's a labor that comes to the realization of what God expects, a labor that attains what God desires, a labor that proves genuine faith. Application. You're supposed to applaud right there. Yay. <laughs> if you desire to be transformed by your devotion to God, you must realize that it begins with a relationship provided by Jesus and continues by being enraptured with his word. It begins with a relationship and it continues with what God's doing in your life through his word. Not through your feelings, not through what the world's saying. Maybe this is a good, uh-uh. I'm building my life on God's word. I'm building my life on the best. Are these thoughts present in your life going into 2020? Yeah. It's got to be more than a resolution, y'all. It's a deeper work. It's a work that happens on the inside that makes its way out. It's a work in which God is more interested in who you are becoming than what you're doing. Because he knows that what, when you're becoming what he desires you to be, you will be doing what he desires you to be. Yeah. That's a deeper work. I want to ask the ushers to come forward if they will. Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you so much for your goodness in our lives. And Father, we just thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, I just, I, I know there's probably someone here today that is just uh, possibly uh, just now entering in that relationship with you. And maybe they've never been discipled. Maybe they've never seen God's word in light of the way it was shared here today. I just pray, Lord, that, that you'll just take what we've shared here today and implant it into their hearts in such a way that there will be transformation that takes place in their lives in 2020. Father, I thank you for the times in my own life where I've seen you speak through your word and it becomes so clear the direction that I needed at that time. It was so clear on the attitude that needed to be adjusted. It was so clear on some decision that needed to be made. Father, I thank you that I've chosen to build my life upon your word. Not that I'm perfect, but Father, that you are gracious and you desire to reveal to me what you intend for my life. Father, I pray you take this offering and use it as only you can to help us bring transformation to the world, Father, through your Holy Spirit, through just giving of ourselves, being used of you, being that, that good work that, that you can use that will benefit the lives of others. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. All right. <clears throat> All right. Let me, uh...